You're listening to And welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club for Thursday, August the 19th, 2021. It is episode 69. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> My name is Marvin Yeh, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Just Jew. Hey, Hello, Jess. Marvin. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. We made it. We made it to episode sixty-nine. That's all I ever wanted <laughs> in life. I'm officially retiring now. Um, thank you. It was a great run. It was a pleasure to work with you, Jess. Godspeed in your future endeavors. Because the next milestone is 420, and that's a lot of podcast episodes, Marvin. <laughs> that's like several more years. Yeah, well, you know, very ambitious for this podcast. <laughs> I'm very ambitious that our friendship will last for the next like, four or five years. That's that's very optimistic, <laughs> Marvin. Um, I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of that. Also joining us, professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. How are you? This this lovely episode sixty nine. I'm just uh, I'm just gonna keep saying episode sixty nine because it's such a beautiful yeah milestone number. That we made it to. Very nice. <laughs> we I know I know we were all very sad that Green Knight wasn't sixty nine because that felt very appropriate. That would have um, been right. Yeah, we just didn't plan it right, but that's fine. You know? <laughs> we're gonna put sixty nine on a four quadrant family film. Yeah, people. I mean, it's always episode sixty nine in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Jess, you just came back from your first premiere since last year's Mulan. Yeah, this one was also very Asian. It was the the world premiere for Marvel's Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, I don't know. My Chinese is terrible. I don't really care how you say it. I and... think it's Shang-Chi, which is like, you would think it's Song-Chi, which is like up-chi, but it's like Shang as in like direction-chi, which also makes no sense. I but mean, this whatever. makes me a really bad, like, professional Asian person, but, like, I don't even know what the name means. I don't know what's supposed to mean. Like, because they have to have a trans- Chinese translation, right? Like, they yeah. have to have decided on, like, a Chinese character translation. I'm sure it means something, like, cool and useful, but I don't know. My accent's terrible. Ask my parents. Um, but, yes, it was very fun, a little overwhelming at times, just because numbers and crowds and potential COVID. Um, but you know, my gosh, gotta show up, show out for the cause. I mean, it looks and- like people dressed up, and you know, I've still Han and I have still. I mean, and I, I mean, I've still never been to a movie premiere, and I don't know if I ever will because I'm just not on those lists. But um, it was pretty cool to see people in big flowing gowns and tuxes and the whole shebang for this film that we didn't know was going to get one of these. Yeah, I'm just grateful that I had like a spare cheap paw lying around <laughs> because of course I do. Um, and yeah, I got to see the light of day because I do this terrible thing where I buy dresses for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sure I'll find an occasion. And you know what? Life has validated those choices thus far. I have found a reason to wear every ridiculous dress purchase I've done so far. So I'm just going to keep doing that. You know, you're just putting it, it out there. I mean, in our line of work, I think, you know, you, you kind of know you need a lot of outfits sometimes to be public. And you are also in an official capacity in some of these, you know, things. So I think that makes sense. I used to have red carpet outfits a lot, a long time ago when I used to, you know, attend these things more often um, as far as like award shows. But 
Yeah, I don't think I have anything red carpet ready anymore because <laughs> uh, TV uh, premieres are very low key. Yeah, uh, especially in LA. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just because there's more TV. So it's like an, almost like an every week, every day occurrence, or at least what it was previous to COVID. You yeah. know, I have a bunch of suits, but the one I wear is basically the suit I fit into right now. Yeah. Which it's, version of Marvin is to, going to this premiere? Or this to be event? fair, um, no one no one notices suits anyways. You're fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But I do have this one like bubblegum pink Monique Lillier ball gown that i bought mm. i think at a rent the runway like sample sale that i've not been able to find an occasion to wear yet that one is like it's huge it will take up like it takes up some space you know so that's, that's if you're invited that. to the oscars or something yeah i don't even know if it'll fit me anymore to be honest but i'll make it fit i'll make yes. it fit yes oh well very excited han you're gonna watch a press screening soon i guess i'll wait till it appears in the theaters for me to watch and then we can talk about the the new marvel asian movie um but yeah looking forward to it it looks like it's gotten pretty positive buzz on twitter um we'll see you know we shall you you never know what kind of marvel you're getting right yeah it it is a crapshoot sometimes (laughs) because they you know changes directors they changes uh change the screenwriters and um yeah uh whenever you catch up then we'll talk about it (laughs) well one movie that we're all caught up on is the jungle cruise which we'll be talking about later this episode um very excited this was the film jess and i watched right after watching the green knight so it was a nice um let's say palate cleanser for our brains no thoughts just good vibes (laughs) um but before we get to that let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week um let's start with con what's popping so I am in week three of press tour, um, and that is when networks present a lot of their upcoming things to us that includes returning shows and new shows. Um, so usually it is a press conference in a hotel um, ballroom for hours and hours on end for two and a half weeks straight, virtually. That means it is two months of my life um, <laughs> because you cannot take over that much of our screen for that long. So, um, let's see. Last week, we did some Hulu, which was uh, interesting. Nine Perfect Strangers is a, a Hulu series that is uh, an adaptation of Leanne Moriarty's book. Uh, she's the one who wrote Big Little Lies, and that was also adapted um, by David E. Kelly for HBO. This one is also adapted by him, but this is for Hulu. It still stars Nicole Kidman. Uh, <laughs> because mm. as one does uh interestingly I mean, when you got your person you got your person right that's yeah true. i mean she also was an executive producer and helped this get made um leanne moriarty is an australian so there you go um and the character she plays is very funny to me because the character is russian but she lives in australia so her accent's all over the place which is very much nicole kidman um but you know- I, yeah. I don't even know what her real accent is anymore. She's Australian, right? She's Aust- yeah, she's, she's Australian. Australian. Yes. But whenever she plays any sort of accent, it's all over the place. So that's what the joke <laughs> is. So uh, it's fine when she like goes around and like you know sort of wanders off of her accent uh, in the show. Um, you know, the concept is basically these nine people go to a health resort run by Nicole Kidman's character Masha, 
and um, some strange things happen. And that's about as far as I'll go. But uh, Manny Jacinto is one of the people who is not a patient. He works <laughs> with Nicole Kidman and he has a little mustache and he's uh, he, he says stuff like namaste. So um, he, he his character is important, though. Uh, if you read the book, and I, I like the book quite a bit, um, his chapter, because they named the chapter after each character's point of view, his chapter is actually first um, in the book. So I am still watching it, and I hope it plays out. Uh, so far, there are differences because, you know, there's a lot of inter- interiority in the books. You can't have that on the screen, so they have to add it on in a lot more action. Um, but we do have our Asian there, so go Asian. And then, yeah. um, you know, I oh, he has like interested. a beard, right? It's a like little, little mustache. I, well, yeah, maybe a little goatee. It's a, and, and a little man bun, I think, too. Yeah, you so, know, I, I wasn't really interested until you said Manny Jacinto. Until you said Manny Jacinto. And now I'm like, yeah, hmm, you've got I love him so much. Now. Yeah, and he, you know, and he's not playing Jason. And then just adding in a quick little other thing is um, we've been doing some other cable stuff this week. We talked um, to the people at Discovery Plus who ha- have a new show, which you might seem like it sounds familiar but it is because it's a spinoff. It is called Naked and Afraid of Love. So if you were familiar with Naked and Afraid, as my aunt and uncle very much are, uh, it is people, usually a man and a woman, who uh, are dropped in some sort of like wild um, desert island naked with access to certain things like fire starters and a knife, um, and they kind of have to uh, survive. So this one... They do survive, but these people are specifically chosen because they want to find love. And uh, the dating apps aren't doing it for them, so why not go be naked in front of people? Uh, there sure. is an Asian. There is a there is an Asian in this, and so you know, if we want to talk about go Asian, that that's also wait. So she's very cute. Is it are they dropped in two at a time, or is it a big yes. crew like Survivor no. style, and they get whittled so, down? So I only watched the first episode that they gave us, but they're dropped in two at a time, so you get to meet each of them, and then they're they're I guess meet cute is more of like a meet awkward, um, and then um, uh, and then you get to know each of them, and then they skip to the next pair and the next pair, and then eventually the pairs start meeting each other because that way they can be sure in case the person they were dropped with they don't like. I mean, if movies have taught me anything, it's harrowing, life-threatening experiences will bring people together in love. Yes, that's that's right? kind of, I think, the idea and um, that shared experience. But also, they they are talking about it. It's kind of like the end game usually for people who are dating is to get someone naked. So this one is like the end game <laughs> in, res- in reverse. So you get over that awkwardness of like the nakedness and then you get to know them. In, in an environment where you kind of get to know their true personality because they're under pressure. Um, they, they, they might like be sleep deprived, all that type of stuff. They did give them a little bit more uh, time to do some washing in the water. Usually in Naked and Afraid, they don't. So they're stinky. But they're <laughs> like, well, if this is a dating show this time around, we're going to at least let you be attracted to each other. So I just love that. Not even the most <laughs> serious types of reality shows can escape the like, vh oneification or the bravoification of their premise yeah. i i'm i'm excited to see what other hybrid shows come out of this because like we saw flirty dancing and i thought that was one of the craziest like dating shows and uh f-boy island i very much 
you know, enjoy. But uh, this one has to be <laughs> one of the best twists. I'm just saying that until we get back to the early 2000s level of like flavor of love or rock of love, nothing can shake me because that was my bread and butter growing up, baby. I, man, isn't it crazy how many shows came out of all of that? Because Oh I, my yeah. God, yes. I mean, I watched all of them. And like, need I remind you, Marvin, that only ended because one of those guys just straight up committed murder-suicide, all right? Like, yep. yeah, no, that, I was, mean, that was a formative preteen that, text for me. I think it explains a lot. That was the era where you went on reality shows specifically to play the villain to get your own show. And yeah. New York, Tiffany, New York Pollard, um, a fucking genius. Does it better than everyone <laughs> else, okay? Respect to her name. She is an artiste when it comes to that. Oh. Anyway. So, Anyways. yes, that was that was my press tour. Maybe I'll do a different update next week. Yeah. So, Jess, yes. what's popping with you? Well, speaking of reality, I think, you know, reality TV has a big competition in TikTok because like other 30-ish year old northerners who have nothing to do with the South, I have been entrenched in Bama Rush TikTok. Marvin, you may be one asking, <laughs> what the fuck is Bama Rush TikTok? I was about to ask what the fuck was Bama Rush TikTok. Okay, so the University of Alabama is about to start, um, you know, it's fall semester. So all the young women who want to rush for the set, one of the 17 sororities in the Panhellenic Council, um, go early and commence what is known as, colloquially known as Rush Week. Apparently, officially, it's called recruitment. And I mean, I think we all generally in the culture have a sense of what a sorority is. We all watch Legally Blonde. This is a whole nother level. I feel like this is, a group of digital natives who have TikTok have, you know, like grew up with like social media are now adults away from home and like documenting every process. I find it fascinating and terrifying from an anthropological, you know, <laughs> angle because they're intense. They they basically like for an, a straight week, you have like events every single day and at every step, you can be dropped by a sorority or you can pull out like your interest from a sorority. And there's like all these like very like um, shrouded in mystery traditions. And again, someone who did not rush a sorority is not from the South. Um, finds, you know, the concept of sorority is a bit, uh, let's just say it misogynistic and paternalistic. I'm sure <laughs> they have pros, but like the roots of the institution is very like, like sexist i think and some of the rules are still very sexist um but it's so fascinating i can't look away they do this thing where they show you their outfit every single day and then like everyone got really invested i think it really just took over the slot where the olympics took go what were because everyone was following the olympics <laughs> so now people are like oh we should like final fantasy draft rush week like we should see what girl gets into which sorority this is people are, um, like betting on it yeah that's wild I've had friends who've rushed in the UC system and they're like, no, it was not that crazy. They're like, it was really chill. We showed up. We hung out. The girls were really nice to us. And like all of us, and then we're in a sorority. Like this is like, this seems like Southern rush seems a little bit like cutthroat. They're like, oh, who's getting cut? Like, are you wearing the right thing? Like, you know, they have like dress codes. Like everyone's wearing heels and like, it's the South. It's like 
freaking hot and humid. I was like, girl, how are you even standing? I'd be like <laughs> hiding in the air conditioner, air conditioned room. And then there's like, oh, I learned about something. I need to go visit the place, the pants store. It's like an Alabama chain. They sell more than pants, but everyone wears the pants store. And I want to go shop at the pants store. Han, go, let's go shop at the pants store. I have never heard of the pants store. Interesting. But like, I don't know Alabama that well, but I, I do know some about Mississippi. So, yeah, I, you know, having grown up in Texas, uh, which is the South, but not the South, depending on who you ask, uh, I, I very much have a extreme, like, fear and aversion to anything very Southern. <laughs> so, oh, oh, no, yeah. it's like a sea of like young white women who yeah. look like, you know, I say one wrong thing, I cough wrong, they're going to hate crime me. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, it yeah. does feel like a Karen training ground. I'm not going to lie. Jess, do you remember uh, the Try High White Clubs? I don't know what those are. You didn't have, you guys had Marvin- those a couple. Oh, oh, the YMCA clubs. Yeah, all my friends were in them and were the president. They got banned because they were classified as gangs. So I like to rag <laughs> all my friends. I was like, y'all were gang presidents. Hans, um, you probably yes. don't know, but um, the YMCA here in the SGV sponsored this, basically their high school sororities and fraternities. They have their they, own. Like, they started off as like community service clubs and basically devolved into high school level sororities and frats but like kind of none of the pros and all of the toxicity nice uh and then they got banned so they don't exist anymore i don't i guess officially they don't exist anymore (laughs) i don't we had like four girl ones and then one guy one in my school yes we had i think four four female ones and two male ones and yeah no all my friends were in them and i was like um (laughs) <laughs> I'm in theater rehearsal. I am not doing this stuff. I'm just saying the um, the drive to be a part of something, quote unquote, I secret mean, that's, and exclusive. That's, that's fair, like... but like, just do something productive. Like, you know, join an improv group or something that actually teaches you a lot of good life skills. But you know <laughs> what? I'm speaking as an old stodgy person on the other side. I remember what it was like being that age. You just, it's very intense. All your feelings are very intense. I shouldn't be poo-pooing the youngins. But um, yes, it's, I can't wait for season two. Oh, um, <laughs> oh Miss Rush. Uh, if this does not become a Netflix show at some point, I would be very surprised. There's definitely like five shows in development right now. On yeah, all the major I- trashy networks. Your E's, oh, your Bravos. So is VH1 so still a thing? I don't. I haven't had VH1 in a while. I feel like the CW needs to do another show type of show on this. Like it's it's like such low hanging fruit. Apparently, right Discovery now. is getting into trashy TV show too. So Discovery, let's throw that in the mix too. It's it can yeah. be anthropological. <laughs> yes, but but anyways, Marvin, what is popping with you? <laughs> All right, listeners know that I am also the host of a book club podcast called Books and Boba, where we um read books by Asian and Asian American authors. And recently I read a book called um, The Jasmine Project by Meredith Ireland. It is a YA rom-com. I read it because we're going to be interviewing Meredith on the show um, later this month. Um, And it just reminded me of just all the conversations we've had recently about dating shows and reality and reality TV. Um, So, okay, I'm going to pitch this synopsis to you too and let me know if you're interested in it. So basically... Okay, I love your pitch. The main character's name is Jasmine. She just got, um, quote unquote, separated from 
her longtime boyfriend that no one in her family or friend group likes. And so they're all mm-hmm. super excited. Um, they're separated because he decided that he wanted to um, take a break before they go to college together and date other people. Okay, so they're young. They're like... High school, yeah. Teenagers, school teenagers. okay. This, uh, this sounds familiar. So the <laughs> family decides secretly to um, set Jasmine up on a series of dates um, with people that they know that would be good for her because they all love her very, very much, but they're not going to tell her about it. And they're also taking bets on who will win her heart secretly in a secret chat. This sounds like unethical. <laughs> I, okay, so I like the betting. Yeah, I like all the unethical stuff. Um, and then also, how are they secretly doing this? Are they just going to like drop the guys in her path? So she's having a graduation party. And yeah, they're going to drop. Basically, they're using that as an excuse to introduce her to these three guys um, that are in the mix. The conceit is the older sister has a very popular bachelorette podcast. And so she decides to create her own bachelorette for her sister (laughs) and then couldn't help herself and decided to make her sister's project into another podcast. (gasps) Oh, this is going to hurt so bad when 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 the other shoe drops. And then as this project goes along, the shitty ex decides he wants her back. So he enters into the race as well. So is he shitty? He's pretty shitty. Oh, wow. I hope she doesn't end up with him. <laughs> but yeah, it's called The Jasmine Project. Um, listeners of this podcast can kind of tell that I'm not the biggest fan of these reality <laughs> TV dating shows. But I am a fan of Terrace House. And, yes. this, and this show does the thing where the family becomes the, like, kind of the Greek chorus peanut gallery of this like quote-unquote reality TV show, which reminds me of the the... The panels in Terrace House, which like was a much easier way for me to get into it. And plus it's super messy and messy on the good ways that good rom-coms can be. Obviously, you see where this all is headed, right? But um, yeah. yeah. I think that ex- is exactly why you didn't like F-Boy Island is you didn't have the <laughs> peanut gallery of me and Jess in your ear watching it with you and making you appreciate it. It would have been level. better with the mm-hmm. peanut gallery. It would have been better. <laughs> you know what it is? It's with just, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I think when these shows take themselves way too seriously... Is when I kind of check it out. This is uh, it sounds great though. This is definitely my my cup of tea. So I'm gonna check it out. Um, so an interesting thing about the story is the character is actually adopted, uh, and her family is a mixed family, half Filipino, half Italian. She's a Korean American adoptee. Um, the author herself is a Korean American adoptee, married mm-hmm. to Ireland. But the the cool thing about the story is the adoption isn't the story. It's like the background. It's part of the character. They mention it maybe twice in the entire book. But the story isn't like her coming to terms with her adoption. It's her coming to terms with her super loving but very meddlesome half Filipino, half Italian family. I love and this. We all, as we all know, Italian families and Filipino families stereotypically are the most meddlesome in the meddlesome scale. Right? But I believe they have, it. But they have great the food. Good. So what party is this going to like? I want to know about the food. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. So she <laughs> is about to go to nursing school because her mom's a nurse. Her mom's the Italian one, actually. Oh. Um, oh. <laughs> but she secretly wants to be a chef. But she's afraid that it'll, she'll disappoint her mom if she becomes a chef. So there is quite a bit of food content. And one of the... Um, contestants in her her for her heart yeah for her heart um, is the son of a celebrity chef mm, oh. interesting. I hope they just talk about food a lot 
<laughs> I love reading about food. But yeah. Yes. The only thing is I can't do that before bedtime. Every now and then I'll pick up a rom-com where they're a chef or something and I'm just like, fuck. Because <laughs> then I'll get hungry. Uh, so I'm just like, okay, I need to read this like in the morning. Um, the Jasmine Project by Meredith Ireland. It drops on September 7th. So if any of that sounds interesting, um, check it out. Um, as a, I mean, at this point, I've read enough YA rom-coms to call myself a, I get at least a, What's the level above novice? Like proficient journeyman, 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 journeyman rom com <laughs> expert. I yes. guess. Um, I like. No, you're a journeyman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a lot of fun, and yeah, if you're interested, if any of that sounds interesting to you, um, check it out. Yeah, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're um, boarding our river trawler and going on a little jungle cruise. So stick around. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This week we're talking about the, the new Disney movie, The Jungle Cruise, directed by Hame Colette Sarah, um, based on the classic Disney ride starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Or he's just Dwayne Johnson, right? Does he still go by The Rock? I still call him The Rock. He's always going to be The Rock to me. But I don't yeah, think that's I, part of his name anymore. No, I think it's always fine, though. He, he's not <laughs> one of those people to poo-poo his rock heritage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and to clarify, The Rock is not in The Ride, though there are many rocks in The Ride. Uh-huh. The ride. <laughs> and does The Ride rock? Uh, the oh. ride does, in fact, rock. <laughs> I like Han's better. Han did a better job there. Han gets one oh my God. point. Um, the film also stars Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, Jack Whitefall, Jesse Plemons, and Paul Giamatti in a, I guess, in my mind, <laughs> unnecessary cameo role. But, you know, that's what cameos are, right? The film follows the skipper of a small riverboat played by Mr. Johnson, who is commissioned to take a scientist and her brother through the jungle in search of the Tree of Life. So... Jess, I know you're very excited about this movie and this ride. Yes. I mean, full disclaimer, I know it's racist and colonialist and very problematic, but I fucking love the Jungle Cruise ride. They really got me with the puns. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's nothing like being on a really good ride with a great skipper, um, really selling those puns uh, with a big group of friends who also enjoy the... uh, enjoy the the whole experience so i i'm a big fan of this i'm also very pro so i'm pro ride i'm pro uh turning rides into disney disney turning rides into movies and i'm very pro Dwayne the rock johnson so i mean the only natural intersection here is that i'm pro the jungle cruise movie (laughs) or at least the idea of the jungle cruise movie yeah and i mean you bring up a good point jungle cruise is a I guess IP, we can call it. 
that hasn't exactly aged the best. A lot of the old classic Disney attractions have not aged well since the 50s when they were made, right? Yes. Um, though, to point out, they did do a, ver- a remodel, a revamp of the ride and the story recently. So they've introduced new characters that have made it more diverse. I think they've gotten some rid of some of the more you know, explicitly racist things. I was reading Ye- up on it. Yeah. I didn't realize they stopped shooting guns at animals. They've not long time. They shoot yeah. it in the air to fire a blank to scare the hippos. Right. Mm-hmm. That used yeah. to be my favorite part. Not the shooting guns at the hippos, but the hippos coming out and, and the elephant. With wiggling their ears. Yeah. 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 Um, so it was, you know, I just, it's, it's it's a f- you know kind of what you're getting into this right you're getting the puns it's a disney movie um you're going to it's a modern disney movie so you're going to get that like uh, four quadrantness mixed with like some weird cgi thing <laughs> <laughs> some unexpected cgi thing and uh you know overall i had a really good time i think you could tell when we were watching it it helped that we had like a lot of like good food and like you had a beer in you yeah we watched it at the alamo draft house which is um, my new favorite theater in la yes i'm very bummed that i couldn't see that with you because i think <laughs> this would have been a fun one to share you were watching movie. the other movie you were watching free guy while you we were watching that one too yeah uh I don't we don't know have to talk f- about free guy yeah yeah it's fine um yeah i mean i thought it was a pretty fun like it's it's like a i guess the only way i can explain it is like a, it's a swashbuckler and it's been a while since we've seen a swashbuckling adventure film and the thing with swashbucklers as they are as a genre is you kind of have to turn off your critical brain to enjoy it because the genre itself comes with all that kind of imperial colonial background with it right because it's about white people coming in and trying to steal treasure Yes. From indigenous the, folks. And, 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 you know, bless, bless Disney. They tried really hard <laughs> to unpack some of that or like, they tried very hard to be like, you know, the conquistadors ain't right. What they're doing ain't right. You know, like the indigenous people like really got screwed over here, but it can only go so far in the construct of this story. Um, but, <laughs> it was i mean are we going to spoiler territory now not yet i mean spo- not we'll, yet we'll get there we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there there. i like that they made the conquistadors the bad guy i think that was a good move like the imperialist should be the bad guys in this film i was a little iffy on the choice of edgar ramirez who was a venezuelan to play the spanish conquistador i feel like we probably should have gotten someone more european um but we also got like the really really terrible german accent from jesse plemons <laughs> Oh, I love Jesse Plemons in this movie. You know, he was definitely in a different movie, but yes. you could tell this man was having a really good time. And um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I love it when character actors just kind of go off on like these wild, like they dial it up to 11. We get a little Paul Giamatti cameo in that way, too. That was yeah. also really, really fun. The Italian um, and the German being cartoon characters. I was okay with that. I was totally fine with those yes. choices. Um, yes. It did feel like this film was made with just pieces Disney found in their like cutting room floor. Like, oh, hey, here is a ride that we haven't used in a while. Here is some leftover animal tech from Jungle Book and Lion King. Oh, and here are some unused uh, Pirates of the Caribbean villains that we didn't use. And since we have The Rock, let's just 
ask him to borrow some um, submarine tech from Fast and the Furious. <laughs> and let's I put just, them all together in one film. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yes, there were parts where it was getting too Disney. And I think it falls down to like, like, like you don't need to use CGI for everything. I think some of like when you when you fall to CGI and spectacle, right, that you can create with CGI, then you're just like the story doesn't need to make that much sense. Like yeah. characters don't need to make that much sense. I wish we'd spent a little more time with um, like we actually don't get to know a lot about Emily Blunt's character right. other than the fact that she's a female doctor who likes to wear pants. Like they were pants. very specific in pointing out and, her pants. And can't, sw- and can't swim. <laughs> yes. But we actually we don't actually get to mm-hmm. know much about her character other than these like very like broad strokes um like character traits. Uh the same with Jack Whitehall's character, who we can talk discuss. So was that offensive or not? Mm-hmm. Um later on. So so we're getting these like in a way, it is somewhat of these like broad stroke characters, which I think happens uh, people want to fall to when you get um when you get the like these action adventure movies but I think there's a way they still do it well and I think this movie's been compared <laughs> a lot for better or for worse to The Mummy which is a classic oh, and so good. you know Brendan Fraser and and uh, Rachel Weiss's characters we we do get to kind of know their quirks and their traits a little more before we throw them into the actual mm-hmm. swashbuckling right and there's really cute interactions with all three of them not just um, with Jonathan her brother as well so we kind of understand how the dynamics of everything is playing um, yeah, I mean I think they also be- had a brother that was coded maybe a little queer right mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yes but, but I think because those characters in the mummy are a little well more well developed or maybe because they just got a little more you know they had a better chemistry casting, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we can talk about that talk big about question that about too. is The Rock a romantic lead? Lead. I, I have very strong opinions on that. Yeah, I oh. mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, the Mummy is just like just beyond hot. So I mean, I it's think, hot. It's like yeah. it's it's kind of notorious now for like at least people in my generation as to making mm-hmm. everyone realize they were not straight. You know, I want to talk about it because I, that was the one <laughs> thing. Because I watched this again with my my partner, and we were both. Again, very perplexed at the um, romantic subplot of this film. Like Han, as someone who is more or less an expert on romance and media, um, <laughs> I mean, we all think? expected it, though. That's yes. the thing. Like, I whether or not I bought it was a different story. Yeah. The and... romance makes sense for this story. Yes, like it it sh- it should have happened. The romance on from the story level should have happened. It's obvious and it makes yeah. sense. The other the other movie I would slightly compare this to is Romancing the Stone, mm-hmm. which is even older, but it is also a woman who gets with an adventurer for various things, but she's she's not like competent like Emily Blunt's character is. She's <laughs> a a romance writer. And so there is that there is that sort of banter going on, um, like that you see here but between the two people. So that's probably as far as they could make it go. Um but yeah, I didn't buy anything else. Like the chemistry was like the moment that the he opens the door and looks at her. I know on paper this is where you're like, oh they want to smash each other, right? But I just did not no. buy it. And the banter was no. very, you know, like, because The Rock has such, like, dad energy, right? Like, he is, like, the punny it, dad of this film. I didn't need to see dad try to, you know. No, dads can be sexy, too. It just, I didn't feel it with them, which is totally fine. <laughs> they didn't do anything much. So, like, it doesn't matter. Um, I did like how both of us have 
brought up comparisons to Fast and the Furious franchise, not just because of The Rock, I don't think. Literally, when I was watching this, this boat like take a ramp, and I was like, this feels so Fast and the Furious. Yeah, it <laughs> feels like when they brought The Rock on, they're like, hey, you know that submarine from Fast, um, was it eight? Yeah, so, yeah. so we're going to like re- reverse time clock that 100 years, but we're going to still have you outrun a torpedo. Yeah. In this movie. <laughs> also, we're going to give you a MacGuffin, but it's not going to be technology. Um, it's going to be magical. And so there's just so much in here that I was like, this is so much like, <laughs> like Fast and the Furious. I mean, the boat outran a waterfall, right? That is as Fast and the Furious as you can possibly get, yeah. in addition to jumping a torpedo. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are a lot of good parts there where I was just like, yeah, I like that stuff. So uh, I, later on, I got a little bit bored just because I felt like it was 45 minutes too long. But it's, I didn't have anything against it. I mean, I also kind of tune out for the longer Fast and Furious movies as well. So <laughs> that's why I should have been in a theater to watch this, because then I would have paid attention more. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like they did a really good job capturing at least the spirit of the ride. Like when they opened up on the Amazon and you hear the rock giving his like very ride accurate pun filled tour Jess you literally exclaimed in glee when you made that first (laughs) pun yes that was great I mean Disney (laughs) Disney is always very good at giving the people the easter eggs you know that's the horizontal integration in place they know what the people came for they had to get that backside of water in in there. And I don't think, you, you know, like, again, I think everything on paper really makes sense. Like setting up The Rock to be this kind of like hustler character wasn't a bad call. The romance wasn't a bad call. It all totally makes sense from a story standpoint. It just comes down to um, can The Rock sell it? And there's a lot of things I love about The Rock and that he can do well. I just don't know if he is romantic lead because in all like and and there's this sense of like he's maybe a little too powerful right his presence is too powerful we know he's gonna get out of this like would anyone believe that he is in danger like he's the rock right he's he's gonna get out of this um and like like this animal's not gonna take down the rock like paul giamatti's not a threat to the rock the rock is like four times his size you know what i think could have worked in their favor as far as like chemistry we're talking going back to that like his his delivery for all the puns were fantastic i think right so if they brought it back to that and then subjected um emily blunt's character lily to that at the end again like a lot of them because she only got like one maybe two puns and then she was like giving him the side eye um so i was just like yeah if he subjected her to a whole bit I would have really loved to have seen that sort of expression because at that point, at the end, she was with him and then you have to kind of tolerate it. And I think that would have been like very, very a good way to sort of build their their dynamic um, outside of the whole thing. So. I mean, they're both very much action leads, right? And, you know, Jesse, you've mentioned before that Emily Blunt is probably the biggest, a- bigger action star in this film, right? Yes. I actually yeah. think Emily Blunt could like, like I think she's a better like action actor than The Rock is. Um, the Rock, I mean, she's she's done some pretty amazing work with um, was it Edge of Tomorrow and all these things. So we know she got the chops. We know The Rock knows how to do fight choreography, but like I think she's just more a little more like like nimble. I mean, she, and she is the better actor overall. Let's she be can real. act through it. Yes, yes, yes. 
the story does take some liberties on the fact that like the Jungle Cruise, even in ride canon and like theme park canon, is so kind of like a scam, right? The whole thing is kind of a scam. Yes. Um, and they played with that in the film. Veronica Falcone um, plays Trader Sam, which canonically in is one of the things that they removed from the 2021 refresh because she used to be, um, they call her the head salesman of the Jungle Cruises, where she would sell shark and heads at the end of the end of the ride. Oh yeah, total racist caricature. Mm-hmm. Like the the version in the ride, you know, like the like the physical body they of the human figure they created in the ride. I mean, we're not pretending like this is enlightened in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Um, but it was. Um, I guess we could talk about, yeah, like, how do you think they handled that whole aspect and bringing the kind of in, <laughs> indigenous characters into the story and and how they related to the main characters? So my whole thing with that segment, it was, it was fun. I mean, it's by the book, Action Adventure, meeting the indigenous people. And I did find it a little, like thinking about afterwards, like they couldn't get away from the fact that this whole entire tribe of indigenous folk, A, have to resort to kind of commodifying their culture to survive and B, literally treated like, as cannon fodder their, yeah, to like right, save the white people that they're exactly. protecting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I did like the character though. I thought she was really the actress, you know, I think, it was pretty funny. She gets some really good comedic lines in. She's but at great. the end of the day, she, she it was... is very much still like, well, they're about to die now too. <laughs> um, because y'all are like hanging out with them in the you know, in in their treehouse village, which I don't know if is accurate, anthropologically accurate. Oh. But it also seems really silly to be like thinking about cultural accuracy in a movie based off a ride based off yeah based off very like, orientalist tropes we R- are kipling's like wet dream you know yes yeah. yes i was very conflicted man this is one of the things <laughs> where like i mean i definitely turn my brain off but um there's this weird like grip that disney nostalgia has on us as americans right like we grew up with it and um, you can say you're not into it, but you go to Disneyland and man, if that magic does not work on you, you know, we're all human at the end of the day and that magic, they just, they just know how to manipulate and push your buttons exactly right. So by the end of it, you're like wearing the ears and you're singing and you're going, wow, at the fireworks. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of semi-resistant to the, uh, <laughs> the magic. I, I enjoy certain things, but I cannot go with people who are diehards. Uh, because then I start getting grumpier. <laughs> I mean, uh, Jess and I, I are both yeah. Southern Californians. We went to Disneyland a lot as children. Yeah, there was, there was have... no hope for us. Yeah. <laughs> did you have annual passes, either of you? I did at one point, yes. At one point, yeah. But then it became a racket. And I was yeah. like... Yeah. I mean, I I did hear that like because it's it's different in SoCal than it is in Florida because it does become a culture here. Um, and so I've known so many people. Not who just are, the like, culture. An identity for some people. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it is a culture. Like, if are you a Disney person? Yes, that is your culture. <laughs> um, and so I am definitely not of that culture, but I know plenty who are. And so, um, yeah. they occasionally help get me in. But uh, yes, it is it is only limited amount of time I can stay there with them. <laughs> so, a lot's been said about. So we talked a lot about Emily Bond's character being like, yeah, she is the 
she wears pants, right? That's like her character arc is she is the woman who wears pants in Victorian. Is this Victorian era England? Like yeah, what era England yeah, is this? Yeah. There's cars. Right, or right, right after. Right after. It, it's so very, was... yeah. It's somewhat steampunk. <laughs> but a lot's also been said about the character that Jack Whitehall plays, who is um, Emily Blunt's brother. I forgot his name. McGregor. McGregor. Um, as like the first. And the, I, do they even say openly gay character in... Um, Disney movie? I mean, they've like, been the... saying that for the last like six years on every other movie. So, you know, <laughs> take all of that with a grain of salt. But the difference is, is like, yes, it's it's still less, but it's um then like super, super open. But at least there's an actual conversation. Um, And he, the, his. Hmm, I mean, he never says he we... likes dudes. No, he just right. says it is a what is it? Uh, His interest like happily late elsewhere and they're like a toast to elsewhere <laughs> oh, yes elsewhere <laughs> elsewhere was the word i mean yes better than before but at some point we gotta move beyond the like, incremental wins right yeah we gotta get like a like a same-sex kiss on screen guys come on let's let's move <laughs> yeah, it along because in general when we talk about disney and that includes marvel and star wars you know none of them have actual sex but they do have very light romance and a kiss that's kind of the basic <laughs> thing so do we did we need this very coded scene um just to talk about his sexuality um could we not have given him some sort of boyfriend or a love interest instead um where it didn't have to be so like weirdly coded and so could Frank have been by? Yeah, because here's the thing right. that would have played in with my Fast and the Furious thing. If he is the Dom, he's the bald guy in the middle of this franchise. Everybody ends up loving him <laughs> um, and everyone's drawn to him, including even, you know, like big jungle cats. Uh, so I would totally see like uh, <laughs> in it also helps like with the whole mummy comparison. <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Hire us, Disney, to uh, <laughs> to help you <laughs> with your skills. I something tells me that will not be happening anytime soon. <laughs> okay, okay, but I, you know I need to go into spoiler yeah, territory because yeah, we cannot. Safe, let's take the spoiler safety yes. off. We got okay. Yeah. I I cannot all criticism aside. Everything is worth it to see The Rock as Spanish conquistador Rock with the wig. Looking through the window, I didn't even realize it was him at first. And I was like, oh, my God, is that the rock with hair? Like long, flowy hair. It's up there with when he played his own dad and he had an afro, which I very much enjoyed. And that was on that 70s show. Um, so, yes, I do like it when bald people uh, all of a sudden have hair. <laughs> um, him as a conquistador now? <laughs> okay, always, so if yeah. you have missed the, if you did not watch this movie, spoiler alert. We find out that the rock is also a is also immortal slash curse with immortality because he was part of the conquistador troop. Yeah, no, but we, he was we, a good one. We, we need to set up the the. I mean, the the film itself has like a ten minute exposition scene to set this up, right? Where you know halfway through the film, the crew gets, starts getting chased by ghost conquistadors, which is the um, like I mentioned, the leftover parts of pirates that they stuck into this film. You know, each conquistador has been cursed because they attacked the village in search of the tree of life. And they all have their special powers. There's a snake man. There's like a mud man. Bee man. There's a, there's a honey tree man. Tree man. Yes. And then we find out that Rock was originally part of their crew and is equally cursed. 
just not you know he didn't break down and become like a a nature boy yes the rules of these as these movies tend to do are a little weird once we get to the supernatural curse stuff and there's like always that's the thing with these modern like big franchises they they always add one or two levels of complication that are just not needed like we i would prefer simple clean tropes that like we can just get off the bat then like oh but they're like oh no no the audience wants more it's like we really don't we just we just want to get to the good stuff like mummy i mean I, again not to bring it back to the mummy but mummy was like oh cheating got caught curse mummy cool like that's all we need this is like okay there's a tree of life and that is one thing and that has the like key to solve the curse and then okay then we have the curse and how did the curse happen? Okay, and then, oh, but the only reason they're even like this is because he, like, did an extra thing that, like, fucked them up um, and, like, trapped them into the forest. And it's just like, what is happening at this point? And I we... just know there's a bee man running <laughs> around somewhere. And did we really need to, I mean, I guess it's character development, right? But, like, did we need The Rock to be, like, the good imperialist? Right. Well, well, that's the thing. You can't. You we, they can't set up the whole movie being like and call col- colonizers are bad, and then be like twist. The Rock is also a colonizer, and you know that that would make him not the hero, and they can't have him be that. So they you know give him like the cop out. I was like, oh, he wasn't really a colonizer. He was like the map. I love guy. it. He was the cartographer, which is like the opposite of the muscle bound you know, adventure. Yeah, he's the buffest cartographer <laughs> you've ever seen. He's like... He's a man of many talents. I'm going to have so many <laughs> fantasies about cartographers now. <laughs> and But I will say, you know, as ridiculous as that whole thing is, I did not see this plot twist coming <laughs> for from miles away. And to be truly surprised in a movie today is pretty rare. So I will give my props to Disney. They kept this very under wraps. Um, I think had I been able to speak, the Alamo has a strict no talking policy, but I think I did manage to sneak a what the fuck to Marvin <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when we discovered that. So, I mean, it was a very know? what the fuck moment and then it lasted too long. So, yes, uh, my other little thing about that is I have, you know, of course, the rock Spanish is not his any of his languages, I guess. But um, if yeah, he's conquistador, and I know it's been 400 years since he's spoken probably Spanish fluently, but, like, he shouldn't mispronounce. That's true. He's the only <laughs> ghost conquistador without a Spanish accent. Yeah, he, he mispronounces. There's a, a one of the many, you know, MacGuffins, but there's uh, Tears of the Moon, Lagrimas, and he puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable in Lagrimas, and which so that, like, bugs me. Uh, but like, and, or and the, maybe we're just all saying it wrong because he was there when the word was written. Well, but the accent is on the first syllable visibly, so that okay. is why I'm just like it's off. Uh, I'm not I don't saying speak Spanish. Yeah, so. I'm not saying my Spanish is better than his. Um, but I know that at least. <laughs> so, but anyway, you know, it, it again, it's a Disney movie with a lot of magic going on. He's 400 years old. So, like, that's obviously nitpicking. Um, but that that did bug me. So. Yeah. This, I do feel like the the whole, like, once we get to, like, all those layers of, like, the fantasy part, that's, like, that that feels like a, like a part three movie in a trilogy, right? We usually don't ramp up to that much, like, lore and, like, 
spectacle until we get to part three. It's like, I think they could have started a little smaller. And then, like, we explore a different river every time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about this after the film, Jess. Where do they go from here? Right? It's part two of this series. Because you know there's going to be a part two. Because uh, Emily Blunt and The Rock need to go on more adventures uh, to complete their trilogy. Is part two going to be Jungle Cruise 2? Or are they going to adapt another ride to be the part two? Like, um, like Frank and Lily go to the Alps in Matterhorn. No, that's a different franchise. Yeah. That's a totally different franchise. They're not going to like cross it until later when, you know, when they can make more money. But there are so many rivers, you know? And, you know, I, I see the Disney capitalist machine turning already. Like, we're, we'll probably get a Yangtze River movie. They're going to go up there. You're going to be in China. They're going to be in China. And, and... If you're gonna um if you're gonna do Fast and the Furious, I think you need to do a heist. Oh my god, I would love a heist movie. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like um so this is like nineteen this is during World War One. So it's like nineteen, thirteen, fourteen. So I mean, I'm literally on the page that's talking about all of the um <laughs> boat names from the ride. So we got like the Amazon Bell. This is said the Amazon. We got the Ganges Gal, we got the Kissimmee Kate got the nile princess we know we talk about the mummy let's bring it to the nile let's bring it to egypt i want to see frank fight the scorpion king (laughs) and not like oh my god that would be amazing like bad cg like mummy two scorpion king yeah you know like if we're gonna go down this like very exotic orientalist pathway like you know what let's get some real Let's get some of our friends some jobs. Let's yeah. cast some Asian people in here. Um, let's go visit some cool exotic places. Let's let's just let's just do it. Let's give McGregor a boyfriend, an Asian boyfriend. Let's give McGregor a boyfriend, like a cute little like mm-hmm. like like a, like a cute little like Asian boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. He could be a bear. Um, oh, a hulking Asian guy. Whatever. It could be the Whatever. Rock. They could be a thruple. It could, I I I'm fine with thruples. I do think thruples with a sibling pair is <laughs> it's a little maybe problematic, weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though I don't I don't know I don't know if that's like typical. Um, there's a Kissimmee. Oh my god, it's hilarious. There's like you know there's a Kissimmee cape boat. Like let's take it to the swamps of Florida in America. Like that mm. it will be so meta because Kissimmee is <laughs> also where Disney World is. Mm-hmm. Um, there. There's there are so many rivers. Each river its own movie. <laughs> All right. So if we're going into spoilers and we have talked a little bit about McGregor. Um so my thing is this. Coding aside, you know, I guess good for Disney trying to work in this LGBTQ uh representation ish. Um you know, Jack Whitehall is not himself he actually once dated Gemma Chan so you know mm-hmm. good for you um I don't think he <laughs> you know but uh I I think my issue is a few things um the portrayal of McGregor is very uh stereotypically you know um gay in that is he's very much a prancing sort of like um character who's very you know fastidious cares about his clothes he can care about his clothes. I'm not saying he can't, but it is very stereotypical. And because Jack Whitehall is straight, it makes me wonder if this, like, about his decisions to play it in a certain way um, that isn't always written on the page. Also, the part that I really had a problem with 
was there is a moment where um, they make several jokes where he's trying to help out uh, Lily removing an arrow, I believe, from um, Frank. And a lot of the jokes are of the nature where basically it's like him trying to get behind the rock and possibly, you know, it's it's coded as, you know, gay sex. Um, and so I find that to like somewhat homophobic because it's kind of like, hey, look at us straight people. We're OK with, you know, like gayness. So we're going to totally make these gay jokes, which is very much like the territory of like what my brother's would have made the jokes in uh, like those jokes in like the eighties and stuff like that. And maybe even now who knows? So like for me, I was just like, are you joking because you're like trying to embrace it? Or are you joking because you're so c- uncomfortable? You're kind of calling attention to this. It didn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. And it just seems so out of step for a movie that was trying to be so conscious to the level that they could about like all the other problematic like elements of the jungle cruise and then you drop the ball on like the lgbtq thing which i think is actually like for a white character Mm -hmm. too right who like you would think they'd be maybe a little further along in the awareness yeah yeah and so i mean here's the thing you know i baby steps disney just doesn't know how to do these things i don't know i mean yeah it's, it's maybe it's, maybe it's the woke seesaw like oh we gave you yeah. someone so we don't know how to do the other yeah kind of um i mean it's i don't know i, I can't say for sure what the backgrounds of all the because this film has a ton of writers right the, the, this film is one of those films that you know is written by one person and rewritten and rewritten again until like it's like written by committee so i don't know what disney's process i know disney likes to bring in like diversity consultants and sensitivity readers to like vet their projects but i don't know you know if they did that in like the you know yeah you know what i think is always interesting to me and it's maybe because the the global audience is tv disney tv does lgbtq and other um uh marginalized groups so much better than movies um, and so, like, I, I, I think about the way we've seen, like, even on Andy Mack, there's a gay kid, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and maybe that's the thing, right? With movies that are four quadrant and set to like do international releases, it sucks to say, but mm-hmm. like, gay panic humor still plays very, very well in like the global community, yes, right? Like, yes. we, we see it a lot in Asian media, we see it a lot in like. It's international media. It's like it's still a very active part of their comedy cultures. Absolutely. Yes. And I and I guess that's what it is, is um I, I, I just didn't think that certain things needed to be added <laughs> <laughs> when it came to Jack Whitehall's character. So Yeah. That, you just like didn't even have to put it in. Like yeah. you know just you just had to not do it. Yeah. Like that's the thing. He could have done the thing where it's basically like where he starts making his own puns and that would have been a cute, fun, like bonding experience, you know. I mean, the part where he accidentally gets war painted on was pretty funny. That was fine. Yeah. So like do other wacky things, you know, with this character. Um, But yeah. Anyway, that was my, probably my biggest quibble <laughs> with his character. I like the actor actually quite a bit. He's done stand up and that I think is really funny. Um, And, uh, you know, I know I mentioned this before, but good on him. You know, for, for dating Jack Chan, <laughs> like you could, that cannot be good for, good for good you. Good for you, Jack yeah. Whitehall. Like you know, gotta give him credit. So uh, yeah, so there he must have something going for him. 
So, you know, nothing against him, but I, I just felt like it was an odd decision for that to be made and put in the script and go through many people. All right. So um, I guess we're coming up to the end of our discussion. So got to ask, is the Jungle Cruise good pop? I say yes. Uh, first of all, the whole I love. I love the whole intro sequence when you're getting to know all the characters. I think they did a great job, like getting you to know their personalities. And of course, so many good puns like that alone. If you gave me the first like, I don't know, 45 minutes and that's it. Like I would have been totally fine. I don't I didn't need anything else. Yeah, I think it was great. A great fun time. Um, you know, always pro the rock leading movies, <laughs> even if uh, in all honesty, I think there could have been like better chemistry, um, you know, had they cast somebody else. But, you know, I love the rock and he's always a good time. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if this will become a big cultural touch point mm -hmm. like even to the way that the pirates was yeah right pirates got like five movies and like you know jack sparrow became a thing for better or for worse for worse um <laughs> but it, it's it's fun i'm always very pro four quadrant films you know it's something that i think we just we just need to keep making movies for like that like mass groups can enjoy together because <laughs> i do think that is one of the few things keeping our society somewhat together anymore um and that really happens so yeah yeah i mean it's good pop in the sense that it's just good dumb fun i mean it did what it needed to do it gave you the rock making dad jokes it gave you action adventure scenes like um it gave you um it gave you sick boat stunts and honestly that's all it really needed to do and i mean i it did it was interesting to see disney try to reckon with the problematic aspects of the Jungle Cruise itself. And I think it, they succeeded in varying forms. Um, but it, at the end of the day, as sad as it is that it, they didn't nail everything, it was at least incremental like improvement to past projects. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's worth a watch. Um, if you have some time, you know, it's available on Disney+. Plus. Um, if you feel brave enough to go to a theater, you know, it's definitely a good popcorn film um but yeah your chances are you won't be disappointed that you watched the film no it's a good time <laughs> it's a good time take your parents yeah all right and with that um that'll also do it for this episode of the good pop culture club jess han if people want to hear more of your thoughts where can they where can they go my trash takes are on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yuet. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Check out our fellow shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, we'll be back next week with our monthly news roundup. Do we want this? But until then, bye everyone. Bye. bye. Ryan, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? 
I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 